0: Welcome to the Connected Commute podcast from Bolden Networks. Bolden Networks is unlocking the power of an interconnected future by bringing you insights in transport from around the globe. Today, Ian Montgomery, that's me, on behalf of Bolden Networks, is talking to Jasmine Pallardi. Jasmine is a community and city builder with a mission to bring creators together to share and build upon their visions for the future, spending a career developing programs and spaces to accelerate innovation in her field. To Jasmine, city building is about shared moments, encouraging creativity and learning. And so we'll discuss how that plays into the role of stations and connected transit. The best way to get these things started is um, to have you share a little bit about you, a bit of your background and like why you're sort of notorious around the future of cities.
1: Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So thanks Ian. So. You know, my my background, like many of ours, is really varied. I actually started in the world of tech startups in the early two thousands. In the world of crowdsourcing, it didn't have a name yet, so we just kept posting to we kept pointing to YouTube and Wikipedia and being like like that. But we're creating a platform for anyone to do that, um, which actually was like my first foray into community building and community engagement, which transitioned really nicely over the years into community building and ecosystem development in the world of technology and startups, which in many ways, when you have those anchor communities in cities, you become kind of an informal city maker in many ways, right, because those communities end up gathering in certain spaces and then suddenly you're a placemaker. Um, so that's really led me over the years into looking at you know, what are the spaces and places uh, for innovation and communities to thrive? How does that shape the economics of place? Um, but then more importantly, beyond the bricks and mortar, is what is all the software of the city around those places so that people come together? And so you fast forward to today and, you know, the role I really like to play is a dot connector between communities and those informal city builders. Um, really playing with communities around experimentation, kind of taking that startup mentality from my, you know, career number one and applying that into city making, a lot more experimentation at Uh, And of course, you know, I love, I love storytelling. I love getting people on stage to tell their stories. I believe in inspiring people, so a lot of what I do on the side of my desk is a lot of events that bring city makers, formal and informal, together to talk about innovation and the future of cities. It's great. It's, it's fun. a great thing to play. I, think, I love fun. the sort
0: of transition through that. Right. But like c- cities are in cities are really interesting because they kind of everything was very things were. If you look back at like old cities, they ex- everything exists for a reason, but they don't seem terribly planned. And then we went through this era of central urban planning and planned cities tend to be kind of ugly and a bit crap. And then we're now at a place where people are thinking, I hate the term placemaking, but people are sort of going, well, actually, how do people live, work, shop, connect, play, whatever it might be here? And how do we design better cities?
1: Well, and I agree. So
0: I'm like fascinated by the time that we're
1: in. That whole notion of placemaking, I think is one, it, It's it's beautiful in spirit. But like any word, like innovation, it's just a word. And so often what people do is they grab onto the lowest common denominator. So what drives me bananas is that placemaking for many people equates to, uh, to a a bench and a piano in a public square. And like a few people tinkering on a piano does not a place make.
0: Yeah. We were just talking to um, someone else on one of these recordings, we're talking about London Bridge station. And it's like they spent billions of pounds on redesigning the station and making it look beautiful. And it probably looked amazing in the renderings, but like nobody knows how to walk around it. It's really cold and drafty. The seats are horrible and uncomfortable to try and deter homeless people. But there is a piano. But there's a piano. Yeah.
1: And a really beautiful (laughs) uh, architectural vision, which ends up being sterile and very inhumane by accident, right?
0: So why is like how did you, what what makes you really passionate about cities now? Like what do you spend your time doing? What what kind of questions do people ask you? Like what's the thing right now that makes cities really exciting? For yeah,
1: you? you know I think that there's been a reckoning over the last couple of years as people became, you know we were we were anchored in our homes for a couple of years, and I think that what happened is uh, our notion of what mattered and what was within proximity, the people, the places, the ideas, the services were really reevaluated. And so what we saw was we saw many downtowns, which were the ones that we would point to in super cities, kind of become decimated because we, to your point of the, you know, the the planning, city planning suddenly being like, you know, anybody of can place him city and say we have a commercial zone, we have an industrial zone, we have a residential zone. But the intermixing of people and their ideas and the diversity of ideas and values and perspectives, that's what makes cities remarkable places. That's why the density of humans in a concentrated area makes places interesting. And so to me, what's what's most compelling as we're in like 2023, moving in 2024 and thinking about the next couple of years is there's been a massive rejigging of values. Uh, we came into 2023 kind of like cranking up our desire for productivity and thinking about boosting the economy again. Um, but we're having these existential crises around what on earth a city is. If downtown buildings are for work, what is an office if 9 to 5 can be done at home? What is a commercial district? What is a train station if I'm not commuting? Um, And I think we're asking a lot of what-if questions. And to me, that's the most interesting time we can be in.
0: Yeah, like we kind of went through this phase of like cities where downtown was you put towers there and people commute. You live in Calgary, you know this better than anybody else. Like Downtown was offices, you drive in, you go to work at 7.30 in the morning, you drive out at 4. And- Downtown was a bit of a sad place after work. And on a weekend, it was a bit of a sad place. But like now, loads of investment is, like Calgary was kind of, it got, it was, it was a signal before the pandemic almost because Calgary was already going, our office vacancy is high. How do we bring people, how do we breed life back into downtown before the pandemic
1: happened? Yeah, and how do we look at a district and remodel it to serve multiple purposes when it served a very solo purpose for decades, and actually, like generationally, uh, and yeah, you're right. It was a it was a loan crises in 2018, 2019, and now a very shared international crisis As everyone looks at downtown and says, "What are these places for?" Um, yeah, it's really interesting. But you know, all work and no play makes you know David a dull boy, as, as so the saying goes. And so I think we need to say the same thing of our cities. <laughs>
0: And it's the same with the residential areas. You get these sort of suburbs that are like you drive to, and when you when you're home, you're home and you don't necessarily get like the, I think this is a huge challenge in North America. Where you don't get like the mingling of people in the same way because it's car oriented and suburb oriented. Um, I've noticed that when moving or visiting cities that you go to places and that you don't, you know, the only people you meet is a bartender because a lot of people are at home and they like have a nice kitchen. So they invite people over but it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean they go out in the same way so you get less cohesion.
1: Ah, and, you know, I think what we're noticing right now, uh, especially across North America, is, again, the sense of the flattening of cities. So, you know, we were trying to say we need to build up and not out across all these cities, especially across North America, where will sprawl as king. Um, and then, you know, people started getting really comfortable in their homes and starting thinking about, you know, their neighborhood, whether we want to call it the 15-minute city or just, like, proximity of what I want in my neighborhood. But we started really com- trying to look at, I'm no longer just at home when I'm at home and I'm like my residential domestic self, but I'm actually t- trying to do all of these things now within this space or within this kind of zone or multiple blocks. And so it, just like right and left brain is actually just something we need to throw away. I think thinking of yourself as your like domestic self, your fun self and your work self as all only happening in certain districts or zones is ridiculous.
0: It said then um- I always use the example of like, the Ace Hotel lobby. They're not quite the same now, but you've just done a thing called Lobby Fest, so you're far more of an expert on this. But like, lobbies and stations have a bit of similarity. But like, ho- most hotel lobbies, are you go into them and there's a reception desk. You check into the hotel. There'll be a breakfast area that's not used for most of the day because it's for breakfast. There's a concierge that's probably been let go, and the, def- the space where the desk was is no longer staffed. And the only people in the hotel reception are the ones that are sort of sitting downstairs waiting for their friends or family or colleague to come down from their room to meet to go out. But the Ace Hotel principle was um, we want to have the neighborhood come into the lobby because then it feels we can charge more higher rates because it's better for the guests. But also, we're part of the community, then it's good for the people around us. To me, stations need to be like Ace Hotel lobbies in that they should have. There should be places that you might go, even in like a neighborhood station. You could pick up flowers from the florist there, or you go for a coffee there, or as a community library there. There's something that brings people together. So, I don't know the lobbies and stations to me are really interesting. Like that,
1: you know, it's funny because you're right. I just did this thing called Lobby Fest where we took, uh, again, we were asking the, the existential question about the future of downtown, and we have all these vertical gated communities that are buildings in our central cores, right? And That's exactly what they are. They are vertical gated communities. You have a scan card to let you onto certain, you know, office floors or not, and um, and then you've got whether you were, you, you know, whether you filled up your tower back in the day and then threw in a Starbucks at the bottom uh, because you had enough foot traffic uh, for them to lease at market rate. But it's a sterile environment. You walk in; it's supposed to be a public space, but it's actually not. It's a it's a it's a privately policed space by security. The concierge is security by a nicer name. Um, and then yet we're told, you know, you can think about any, any city's economic development arm tries to tour companies around as employers to try to get them into, the, into their city. And they will point at towers, no matter what city, and they say, welcome to the innovation district or the creative district or the arts district. And then they'll point at buildings and say, oh, well, you know who is in there. And they'll try to sell who you're going to be a neighbor with. But if the lobby itself, you don't get those collisions, that sense of the of the community living room, uh, and kind of that shared communal space. All you're doing is taking people by their word that someone interesting happens to reside on the 26th floor. And you're right about I think the notion of of, of stations being a community's lobby. You know, you think about how do we shift this like to to you know mash up that notion of, of like placemaking is how do you shift what's traditionally a place for transition uh, and transit into a place where you dwell, and that is a service for a community. And, you know, I think one one uh, you know kind of community institution that's gone through I think a really interesting renewal over the last handful of years are, are city libraries. City libraries for ages were where you went in, you were s- silent, you grabbed a book, maybe you did some research, and you left. They were, like, really groundbreaking when they started giving people free access to computers and Internet. Um, but beyond that, what they're starting to shift to now are where you go to for community services. If you are a new immigrant into a community, there's outposts for immigration services. Uh, there are safe places to dwell. Uh, no no matter who you are or what lot in life you are, you are welcome. Um, but there's programming. So you know what's there and how to engage not only inside the library, but with like the rings of community around it. And they think that there's a real opportunity for transit stations to be exactly the same thing.
0: There's an interesting trend of people like doctors prescribing patients who might have like depression or obesity or whatever it might be, but then prescribing them go for a walk, go for a day out on a train. Or people have loneliness, trying to pair them up and be like, "Go do a day trip to such and such a place," and it's a way of like making people happier and healthier. But again, like the station is a really important part of that. The trains are really important part of that, and it's like using places that already exist rather than pills. I yes. find that fascinating.
1: Uh, that's been really cool there because there's actually, and I like, I'll, I'll I'll find it so you can post it later. But there's a lot of science behind, even just as an observer. Watching people have a happy moment makes you happy. You don't even need to be part of that interaction. And so there's something just, I think, really beautiful about not only, you know, what's happening to me and what am I getting out of a space, because I'm actually getting a lot out of just being there and people watching is really powerful too. Yeah.
0: It's a totally different type of voyeurism. And again, I've just said something that's probably not going to fit the compliance (laughs) for this podcast. But But I find that sort of idea of like the third place, like Starbucks, sort of like colonized that term for one of a better phrase at one point. But like the pub was that in England for a long period of time. But like almost as it's actually quite expensive to go get a coffee in a Starbucks. Beer is quite is a lot more expensive. People drink less. The places to just sit and be—that's not your work or your home—are sort of they're eroding a little bit.
1: Yeah, they are. And in places where you also feel safe, you know, there's, we're more wary than ever before of other people, right? Because we went insular and we were told to pod up with other close people or families. And so like anyone who's not like stranger danger is like a thing now. And it's ridiculous um, because actually we're safer when we're actually more open and connecting with each other. It's just plain true. Uh, you know, and every once in a while I think about, you know, this notion of safety and transit right now and ridership really plummeting in a lot of cities, again, out of a sense of safety. And, you know, when 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 we create spaces, uh, what we never what we didn't pay attention to and maybe wasn't so visible to us before becomes incredibly visible. Um, and so this call back to downtown is also like a callback into how we move around our cities. But there's a hesitancy there. And you know, your point of like, where do we also just like hang out? I've learned more and more and more that if we can make spaces where girls and women feel comfortable hanging out, like that don't even not that there's even like a particular purpose, but that they can just hang out, the ripple effects to like the point of like foot traffic on other uh, other you know retail nearby, but also just like the confidence and anchor tenants coming and taking root places goes up, which is really cool. So like if you're thinking about you know a, tra- a, a transit station. I think the loitering of teenage girls is a really interesting thing to think about how you encourage that.
0: There's a really, I had this, you just connected two dots for me, but I had this thing the the week about the sixties and especially in London and like the fashion around it. The big societal shift that we saw then, and we haven't seen as much of a big shift since is that women, especially young women had more money and they could go out and spend and clothing became cheaper and more vibrant. So they could go out and spend more money on clothing. There's a bit more liberation around it, a bit more showing off, a bit more like demonstrating in female independence. That was really, really important. And we're sort of seeing the same thing in Saudi Arabia now, as it goes from being very veiled, very, very male centric. Someone um, who lives there was telling me how, like, a Starbucks would have like the nice bit of a Starbucks would be men only, and the less nice bit would be like families, like women and children. And then one night overnight, they literally switched the signs around. So the women and the children got the nice bit and the men got the like, slight corner bit that was partitioned off and had had lesser service. And it, then a few weeks later, they just took all the signs down and opened it up. So now if you go, I've not been to Riyadh yet, but when you go around Riyadh now, quite late at night, you see lots of young women hanging out with friends. You see more children. Um, I don't know what it's quite like, like the interaction between male and female. Um, But, like, it's a much more vibrant city because those barriers have been taken down. So, like, it's almost weird when you look in other cultures. That's that signal of, are there lots of women hanging out here? That's a sign of a great place. Maybe we need to look at places we didn't think of as examples of that.
1: I think, absolutely. And and more and more, I think, um, yeah, uh, some really great urbanists are putting that top of mind.
0: So, from the lobby thing, like, what you just done, Lobby Fest is the event. We'll talk about the next event later, but. Um, what what stood out to you? What was really exciting? What what do you want? What you want to see more of? What what are we going to see more of?
1: Yeah, you know, so it was it was a lot of fun. You know, this notion that we look at lobbies, we look at the um, you know, the podiums, so the street, the lobby, and maybe the first or second floor of these buildings in our in our urban cores, and they need to be kind of permeable. They need, you need to be able to kind of move between them because I don't know about you, but when I go into one building, I don't consider myself like a citizen of that one building and not of the rest of the block. Um, and so Lobby Fest was meant to, in its first year, be a bit of an urban futuring festival, but to host these labs and conversations and pop-up prototypes of different use of spaces in these lobbies as, uh, you know, partly as these kind of public squares of downtown Also, to kind of extend the permission and willingness of a lot of those who operate those spaces to realize, oh, beyond the piano and my security guard, it's actually really great to have not only increased foot traffic through my space, but increased dwell time in my space. Because suddenly I'm able to kind of like immerse people in the story of what I believe the value of this particular building is. Um. And so Lobby Fest was, was excellent. You know, we took over four lobbies. We had eight different installations, 30 different community partners. Um, and we asked people to share their really human scale visions for the future of downtown. Because we know for a fact, and every city has this, and they've got, you know, their areas of, of investment priority, everything from repurposing and adaptive reuse of existing buildings downtown. So shifting them, say, from office to residential or hotel. Uh, there's the prioritization of, of transit. There's getting post-secondaries into cores. There's you know thinking about other mode, modalities like bike lanes. But the human side, those that aren't in those design charrettes, they're the users of downtown. They're our core customer. They're living, working, and playing in these spaces. And so to ask them to be a little altruistic and think about what, they're, what a day in the life of downtown, both the journeys and experiences and moments, as well as like the places, helped us get beyond the brick and mortar of these policies and investments and initiatives into the desired experience. And the conversations we had were really illuminating, like really illuminating. And so the goal of Lobby Fest is kind of bubble those up, do some futures narratives where we tell the future of downtown through the stories of the eyes of the Calgarians that we, we engaged, and create a bit of a playbook. Because this is something that can plug into any city. We all have these lobbies. We're questioning how to use them. Uh, they all need to be more community oriented. So what does it look like locally based on a community's makeup in any city? Well, we figured it could be a way for anyone to experiment.
0: Tell us a bit about one of the installations in one of the lobbies. Like,
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Might
0: be picking a favorite here. Uh, but I like, totally what have was a the, what's, what's a really cool one?
1: Okay, so the one that was my favorite was called Now Near Far. And so anyone that does foresight work knows we kind of you know, time cast that way. And Now Near Far was... 5,000 thought bubbles. They were biodegradable balloons. Balloons are horrible for the environment. So circular-wise, they were transitioned to a facility to get turned into floorings. I'm pleased with that. But these 5,000 thought balloons were filled with predictions and visions for the future of downtown. So we crowdsourced them leading up. We threw in a few AI-generated ones for fun to be, like, just very curious around, like, well, to the point of community, like public community engagement around space, like what are we going to find thanks to Chat GPT or otherwise about hum and has and <laughs> cost of parking or whatever, um, and throw them in. And so, to me, that was my favorite because it sat there as this like beautiful, really large scale artifact of the consciousness of the community, um, which isn't exactly at the forefront of any like report or recommendation or council hearing. Um, and then it also happened me home to these community labs that would happen every day, which would focus on uh, on different themes. Like, what is the future of an inclusive downtown? What's, what does belonging look like in a new urban core? Or, you know, if we go against like the trope of smart city and it's just like 5G for everyone, it's like, what does that mean? Uh, so what is an adaptive city that that enhances my life? where there's layers of uh, the digital layers, both above and and underneath the infrastructure I'm standing on or moving through. And so these were great because they weren't quote unquote subject matter experts. They were people who were experts in their desired days and experiences, which was super cool. So that was my favorite. yeah, that was that. What was kind my of ideas favorite.
0: did people have? What okay. kind of thoughts okay. for the future did people have in those bubbles?
1: Yeah. Okay. So there are the there's the baseline ones, which is so funny because we just know them. It's always so ridiculous because we don't act on them. Um, you know, the the debate about, you know, cycling lanes, everyone actually wants more cycling lanes. They want to be able to move around downtown in really easy ways. Uh, so we see that. A desire to be like, you know what, is downtown a place where we go to be inside? It kind of it is so what does it look like for a downtown where spending time outside is magical and beautiful and prioritized and so there was some flipping of some of those orthodoxies to some of those ideas and then there would be like the delightfully uh, uh like obscure ones which are my favorite because they're actually not that far-fetched so one of them was like what if we disnified downtown you know and i and i thank we you know one of our uh one of our shared friends sabrina sullivan for kind of like probing to get to those types of outcomes but if we Disneyfy downtown, we think of like the concierge um, at all of these buildings, the, uh, you know, the bus driver or train driver, the folks running the coffee shops as cast like they do at Disneyland. Well, goodness gracious, wouldn't that be the most like hospitable, wonderful place? Plus also if it was a heck of a lot of fun to get around. Well, that could be really cool.
0: It's really interesting that sort of what have we disnified it because I, I think being a cast member at Disneyland must be so hard. That must be like a really stressful job. But they always take away a bit of the stress by... Nobody really goes to somebody at Disneyland with a with a problem when they're angry or the stress or something's not worked because they've, they've created a level of functional enough. And I feel like this for bus drivers or train drivers. You know when you see those signs that say like it's an offence to harass our staff? I always see that as like the line of last resort of people that harass your staff probably because you've not done a very good job of setting other things towards good enough level but like disney's like picking up food waiting in a two-hour line for a roller coaster whatever it might be like how do you make the waiting time in a station better how do you make the the waiting time in a lobby when the person you're meeting is running 15 minutes late better and then the interactions between people so that person who's I know the bus has been late like, because there's been some traffic jam or there's been an accident. If the bus station is nice, you won't take it out on the bus driver when you get on the bus. Exactly. I think there's like, we don't necessarily think about those kind of things.
1: No, and I like that. And it, it makes me think about, you know, when you're in a space where you're designing anything, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a service or a space is, I always like look at these ease of, of human engagement. Like one is ego. Like everyone's just like, what about me? So that's fine. Yeah. Are we... Are we hitting at a person's ego? Or are we making them feel good in the moment? Are we making them feel important? Um, the other is like entertainment. People love to be entertained. And even that, that bar is actually quite low. So like, what are the moments of delight? And I don't know if we ever look at a station and say, is there a delight here? Like, do we ask that question? What a, Like, what a magical question to ask. So the notion of, of, you know, the ego for the self, the level of entertainment or delight education is another e i was like focusing on and it it's, i don't need to like i don't need to learn a bunch but education could be as simple as a really remarkable wayfinding that enhances the serendipity of me choosing to go on a particular route or path because it just sounds like a lot more interesting and i'm going to bump into things along the way but also it just saves me the time if i'm like new to a city or i'm i've traveled into a district of a city that i'm i'm, I'm familiar with help me again to the ego I don't want to look dumb. I might not want to ask one nearby. Google Maps might not be any helpful for me because I'm not even oriented enough to know like what's actually like how this can help me understand where I'm going or what I need to look for. So what are the other kind of like layers of wayfinding that where I don't have to look dumb? I'm enhancing serendipity. I'm I'm, I'm feeling extra confident so I can go and explore. And then that this last one is this notion of like, you know, again, like the self-actualization of people that how am i thriving in the moment that might feel like way at the tip top of maslow's hierarchy like beyond you know but if i'm thriving in that day and i'm feel like i've cracked open new opportunity for myself that's pretty cool And i don't think we ask that of spaces often
0: in terms of like connectivity as a really interesting theme for us of you talked about, oh yeah, we have 5G in this space. But I think one of the problems that connectivity industry kinda has is great, faster and faster, Wi-Fi, phone signaling, whatever it might be. What can you do on top of that? I don't know how much you see of like the imagination of when you have good foundations, what does that then enable versus just doing it for the foundation's sake?
1: Yeah, I think that's such a great question. And, you know, one is the baseline. Like digital equity is incredibly important to the, you know, to the livelihood and lifestyle of cities, because if our community and everyone can connect, we've got access to everything. So that's the baseline. There's this lovely, again, to the service of the community, a station like a library can be a place that connectivity is available all the time. I think also to that notion of what can we do on top of it? Well, one is just data visualization and the ability for me to kind of like step into a space And see not only how I'm going to move through it and also even where I'm moving to, but also like what else is happening around me? Can I feel more connected to my exist, my current place or the places I'm going through storytelling of data? And I think that level of connectivity helps us do that. It also creates a greater understanding of the systems we're in. Um, Peeling away the layers of a system so we see how it works creates a greater understanding and therefore empathy when things maybe don't work how they're supposed to in a certain moment because i'm realizing to the point of my ego that i'm not just the one cog in the machine and it better work for me because i don't care what's happening for anyone else which is how we've been operating for a long time right which is also why we make those systems invisible because we want the person to feel the most important but when it when a system fails or a train runs late i'm mad because i I'm, i've got a meeting or i'm supposed to hit the airport and i've got to fly so i could be late So I think that there's a level of that digital connectivity also allows us to see what's happening. I think there's really great opportunities there. And then there's also, to your point, are there places of refuge and dwelling in these busy, bustle uh, transit stations that are supposed to be just moving to people? If I'm there and I'm able to connect, are there opportunities to create places of refuge because we've got really strong connection too? And I think there's opportunities for that like imagine pop-up co-working um in a station that also happens to have childcare. uh like that would you know these opportunities for those moments in the middle of our day uh going to going to a station to become to you know not only uh to take care of whatever i need to do at that moment but also connected to the greater community around me i think we need to reevaluate just what's available there
0: you touched on the thing there is that it's a big bugbear for consultants so kind of know it a bit better but because they're mo- Or salespeople, because they're moving around a lot. They might have to be in one office one, for one bit of the day, have a meeting somewhere else, and then the boss goes and puts in a video call. But, like, in the old world, 50, 60 years ago, okay, you have to make a phone call. There would be a phone booth, and it would probably be clean and hopefully not
1: Maybe various
0: postcards for illicit services. But you know what I mean. But we haven't then translated that into, and there's some stations in the UK starting to trial this, but they have like a little co-working pod and you can book it for an hour and people will spend a lot of money just to know they can open a laptop, do a call in a quiet place, not have that. It takes so much anxiety away from their work then, or it stops them from like canceling a meeting downtown because they have a call or whatever it might be. I think there's something about productivity that connectivity enables or um, it might be those childcare spaces like you want to go home, meet somebody. is there a crash where you can where your kid can go play for an hour with um, some trusted staff and you can go and do what you need to do like that. There's so much stuff that is available but we're only seeing it in pockets right
1: Exactly exactly. think like if I yeah what's the what's the level of my day where if any wrench is thrown in, most of those wrenches could be alleviated by what's around me and that would be ideal.
0: Another really nice example I saw yesterday was like someone was traveling on the Eurostar and they were connecting to a train that was run by like Lumo and the Eurostar train manager was was mess, was mess tweeting at the Lumo train company saying, my train's late, they're going to miss their connection. Can you make sure that they get to their destination? And they were like, yeah, if you give the passenger this reference when they get on the train, it will we'll honor their ticket on a different train basically." it was like, that's just how it should be, but we don't make it work enough.
1: And a few things came together there, which were really nice. Like one was the connectivity allowed them to do that. They had the data to understand where they're at time-wise. And then on top of that was this notion of service, that we're responsible not only to get people from point A to point B, but also depending on, on the shifts in that point A to point B, are we also responsible for just like how, how the rest of their day goes? because we're taking over this one part. And I think that's like that level of, um, what do they call it with Airbnb, like 11 star service versus five star service, like always thinking about those things.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Bolden Networks, unlocking the power of an interconnected future. We're delivering the advanced shared network infrastructures needed for a smart, inclusive, and sustainable future. From interconnected transit to venues, enterprises to smart cities, we're creating new possibilities in the way people live, work, and play. find out more, visit boldin.com. So, switching it up from we talked about lobbies, like a very small little piece of the city that you interact with, or don't interact with enough, in, as the case may be just now, to World City. So, this is an event that by the time we put this podcast out, will probably have happened. Mm-hmm. So, we'll plug it for. 2024 World City. Excellent. Tell me about World City, yeah. what it is, and what kind of things happen there.
1: Yeah. So World City, we call it the Global Forum for Urban Innovation. And, you know, there's this really beautiful kind of like uh, uptick in interest in in cities uh, right now. And I think that there my, my sense is this happened because there's a bunch of events around cities. My sense is this happened because we were all, all of us, in this world of technology and innovation, technology, innovation. Wait a minute. (laughs) The humanity of the place that we're trying to build as these innovation hubs around community and culture needs some paying attention to. And so now there is this, I think, real spotlight on the health of our cities. But often to the point of like, you know, the anti consultant, a lot of those gatherings are in like uh, industry associations. And so World City is really about. Urbanists, city enthusiasts, city makers of all stripes, everything from the planners all the way through technologists and informal placemakers and cultural institutions and mayors and you know, chief heat officers and transit designers come together at World City because it's that multi-dimensional, just like a city, where we come together to share really openly. Lessons Learned from Actual Applied Innovation and Projects. So we do it for two days in person um, in New York, but we also allow everyone to join online, no matter where they are, for free to watch. Uh, And it's everything from, you know, Craig Diker's, the founding partner of Snowetta, which is a really remarkable architecture firm, uh, to, you know, the chief climate officer of New York City, um, talking about the investments and the lessons learned in New York City's own plans all the way through, you know, innovations in transportation uh, and trying to increase ridership in cities where that's plummeted over the last couple of years uh, to, again, the the magic of public spaces um, and how we need to design and, you know, program, actively program them better because just designing a beautiful space, again, does not a place make.
0: You said chief heat officer. You distracted me now. I need to ask you a bit more about that because that's one, I am a very important job title, very novel, but makes people go, what do they do?
1: Yeah. Okay. I love this. And I'm seeing more of these pop up in cities around the world, particularly cities that are seeing more extreme heat. And so a city's heat officer, and while this, you know, ebbs and flows between communities are essentially responsible uh, for um, for policy, investment, and community uh, uh, advocacy, around, uh, heat, kind of, I would call like heat and climate equity in the city. And so are there places, are there cooling centers? Are we investing in more shade? Uh, are the retirement homes in our communities, uh, do they have air conditioning or not? And if they don't, what are we doing about it? Are our bus stops in uh, in Los Angeles, are there trees nearby to shade them uh, during times of heat, extreme heat and heat domes? And so they really take a look across the city, not only at the heat map, but even at cooling maps too. Like I live in a winter city. We've had extreme, we've had far more extreme heat in the city that I've had um, seen in my entire lifetime over the last handful of years. But we also get to minus 30 Celsius, minus 38 Celsius in the wintertime. So a a heat officer is also a climate officer that really takes a look at, are our citizens uh, being taken care of? Do they have places they can go to? And so if we think again about the broader services that, say, a station might offer, we've seen communities where elderly go to the local grocery store to stand in the refrigeration aisle when it's hot. What role, as likely a, uh, you know, the HVAC system needs to meet certain codes in a transit station, uh, are those places of climate refuge as well?
0: It's really interesting that idea of shade or warmth or protection from the elements, how far you can go down the path without people going trees or shade or breeze or whatever it might be With, with all the technology we have available, we get really excited by the tech and we sort of forget like the nature stuff that is actually super low tech that makes the like this is so important for a station like it's not breezy or drafty in the winter there's somewhere to see it, it's got shade whatever it might be people forget about that
1: yeah exactly and uh and we feel better as humans when we're around nature so rewilding those spaces and in addition yeah the those low-tech solutions have been around since the dawn of our planet so we might as well lean and <laughs> lean into them
0: and, and then i guess the other thing that's interesting about world cities you have Lots of places historically have thought about things in isolation. So transit was thought in isolation to housing, was thought in isolation to the environment, was thought in isolation to healthcare, whatever it might be. But like the most successful railways have basically been property developers. So like Hong Kong as an example is they built a lot of housing. They built a railway to connect them. They then built commercial properties and like the rents from the commercial properties kind of subsidized the railway. And because they've done commercial property well, you have a reason to travel around the city, which makes you take journeys you wouldn't ordinarily take. Now I think that everyone likes to talk about housing crises, house prices have gone way up. Toronto is not building enough as an example. But like, it's not just build more houses. It's how do you connect those houses? What kind of houses? Where do you build them? All that. There's much more complexity if you pull one thread and everything else falls apart. I feel like that's a really important thing that transit has to think about better in the context of the city.
1: Well, and also I think those are the conversations that that can happen where we integrate the notion of if there's housing crises, which is being felt in a number of cities around the world, are there city-owned or friendly developer-owned properties around transit hubs that can be converted into dense housing, affordable housing, accessible housing, even market rate, um, but this this shift in many cities where unaffordable housing for upper-class citizens is now the closest to transit. And we need to take some pretty drastic measures to flip that in order to make our cities more equitable and allow for workers who make our cities run to have a reasonable commute versus multiple hours, um, you know, on multiple planes and buses, et cetera, et cetera, uh, in order to get to where they need to go. So that notion of thinking about proximity and what are the points of journey and thinking as a developer is a really important and interesting one to think about are we serving not only the folks that are coming into out of one box into another box but what's the impact to the neighborhood around me because there's greater economic impact as a whole if we do that
0: there's a station there's a line being built just north of where i live and the stations are just boxes like some of it some of it's tunnel some of it's not but they're just boxes with a ticket machine. And there's no I would have you'd expect the people building the transit line would be like, we're gonna build a fifty story tower above this station, or we're gonna build a shopping mall around it, or we're gonna put a library in. And I'm always baffled by like, why is why is that empty? Like you have all this. There's thing all this above vertical what, real estate
1: you could have taken advantage of. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And meanwhile the people who are gonna use the line are like living further and further out. And by the time it's in operation, it'll be full because all the people are like trying to almost drive to it or get a bus to the end of it yeah. to go get on that line yeah
1: and we just perpetuate existing problems the one thing i've been thinking about too is you know uh you mentioned like what happens if you take a look at the potential of, of vertical or real estate on these more kind of like neighborhood and community bus and train stops versus like kind of the larger metropolitan kind of like grand central station-esque type of station And with these nodes through a community that are those, you know, the stops along the way, I feel like those could actually house the community associations themselves. What if there was community spaces that were subsidized, that could have anchor tenants uh, that were, you know, basically gateways to the hyper-local community somehow? That's really powerful too. That could be great.
0: They're kind of like welcome, I've talked about stations being welcome mats for tourists. Maybe it works better in Europe than it does in North America because the what can the airport be that? (laughs) But like I remember the first time I arrived in New York and like landed at JFK and there was like it was raining outside and the jet bridge off the off the plane had a hole in the top of it. And then there was like a four hour line to go through customs and it's an American customs officer who tends to be a bit surly. And then you like go outside and you get enough cab and it's an hour into the city. Whereas like sometimes if like that's that's how that's how it can be banned. New York's actually doing loads to make its airports better, but like stations should be welcome mats to a city, and like the smaller you go, they're then welcome mats to a neighborhood.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know we we become so homogenous in our neighborhoods in many cities too that I think it's an opportunity to kind of create those hyper local brands and sentiment around community pride if we do them well. And I think what a lovely offering to kind of like extend out as a bit of a you know a bit of a handshake into neighborhoods to kind of give them a bit of a platform or palette or canvas to play with, to make those welcome that something real.
0: One of our ideas for stations is if you're on the, the, the train company, Wi-Fi, um, can you get like a port when you sign on to it? Is there a portal so instead of just going connect here and here's an advert for something you don't care about? Instead being like, at this station, there's a brilliant bakery nearby. So you might just be on it as you're passing through the station, go like, well, oh, the next time I come through here, I'm going to get off here and go, go to that bakery or whatever it might be. Or, like, here's things around the city that you wouldn't necessarily ordinarily interact with. And it gives you more excuse to travel. It helps you explore more. Or if you're a tourist, you get to see something you wouldn't necessarily have known about how do you use connectivity to give more information about a place so people can enjoy the place more basically
1: well precisely and start to feel a bit more like a local than uh then you're right just seeing the telecom brand or whoever's bought the rights to the landing page on that free wi-fi but actually to kind of have that guidebook for what's around me and almost even curated by it could be really beautiful and i think that's that point of like what's your creative elements of wayfinding because i think there's we need to play the think about the service of connecting people to their surroundings in meaningful ways. Like we can be in really dense and busy places and still feel really lonely and disconnected and out of the loop. And so if we're thinking about the ways where we make it easier to feel connected, uh, to feel like I know where to go, to feel like I'm able to, you know, be a patron for a really cool local bakery always feels good too. I'd love the notion of making that easier.
0: There's this idea of like almost tourists sometimes know better things than locals because they go into a city with their eyes open. I don't know if you're like me, but you go somewhere new, just go for a walk around and don't look at your phone or try not to be like, where's rated a 4.9 on Google.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um,
0: But you do this when you live in a city, you get into your sort of comfort zone, you go to the same places Like the, 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 the the way to discover goes away a little bit. But actually, how would you bring that back into a world where we're still looking at the Google reviews.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No An element of discovery is incredibly important. And I think making that sun or kind of inviting people in, I think that goes back to that, that section of delight, right? Like just help, help me, help me decide to do something that day that I wouldn't have done. Even if it only, only takes me, you know, the three minutes to be in line and go get that one thing.
0: Or even like in the, the opposite version, that might be like service disruption. So like there's this this line's going to be closed that weekend and not relying on the whiteboard that somebody puts up in the entranceway of the station that somebody's actually going to read it yeah because like yeah that like that communicating disruptions an important part of it too
1: well it'd be so interesting to the point of like those digital layers is like uh you know i think about like the guides to cities and it's like i've got 48 hours in a city i've got one day in a city or i'm you know i'm there for a week and i think the same type of thing like oh actually if i'm say i'm stuck and i'm now have i'm i'm I'm, you know, there's been a service disruption I'm around for a little bit longer. The, like, I have this much time, what's nearby is also, I think, a nice way of helping kind of enhance people's experiences.
0: Yeah. I've got an hour. What should I do? So we talked about, when we talked about lobby fest, we said, like, what's that to you? In terms of world city, everyone likes to talk about, oh, Amsterdam's a haven for cyclists or Anne Hidalgo's doing amazing things in Paris, whatever it might be. They go biking in the cold in Finland. Um, you can't use the cold as an excuse to not bike. There's only improper clothing, not improper weather. Ignoring those cliches, what's really, what cities are sort of standing out to you is like, that's really exciting or, Ooh, I really want to go there.
1: Yeah. Uh, Mexico city right now, I just think is like one of the most magical places. Um, you know, one, it's just like, it's steeped in such mar- you know, m- marvelous culture. But also, you know, to the point of, yes, we point at, at Paris, um, you know, and Mary Hildego around, uh, you know, she's been very blatant with her public saying, you know what, we need to do these things and short term pain will be long term gain. She's, she's been, she hasn't minced her words, right, around the, some of the challenges. But you go to a place like Mexico City and, you know, one, I think this is one of the cities that like the sounds, the smells, the people are just like visceral in a really magical way. They've taken over a massive swath of their downtown and made it car-free on weekends. And in the city that, um, you know, I think there are cities around the world where people go, oh, I'm not so sure I should travel there because I've heard stories about these places being unsafe. You stand in these middle of these squares, Mexico City, surrounded by families, and it's really beautiful. And I think there are a handful of cities around the world that are um, flipping the script on what they've been known for by doing things and not just not just leaning into place branding because by you don't change a place by changing your tagline you change it through active programming and investment and leaning into the community wants and the uh you know the the personality of places and so to me yeah that that place is magical
0: i had a great i, I got engaged in mexico city ah, that's wonderful and i was riding we we're riding bicycles we got from hotel and like the this is like oh, seven years ago now, and uh, we went into a neighborhood that looked a little bit like that's terrible. maybe not where you quite want to be. Had like the ring in my pocket, it was like <laughs> freaking out a little bit, and then yes, yeah, someone was like, "Oh, they haven't finished the cycle way down this way. You actually want to go back, turn that way?" And it's like, "Oh, thanks. This is thank you. This is like lovely. It's like it was like it felt like a city that was." about to change uh, for the better in terms of how it brought neighbors together, what it was building. And I don't know what it's like now. I'd love to go back. So it's a great example. that it's also like, it's nice that it's not like a very sort of Western centric city. It's nice that it's not totally developed. It's there's just certain privileges that it hasn't been afforded. So it's good to use those examples, sometimes more than the Paris or the Amsterdam.
1: Yeah. And any place where I think it's so easy for us to say, oh, that's as hard. We can't do that here. And there are a thousand and one examples of cities that we would point out and be like, and imagine that they've always been that way, but they also had their battle against cars or the battle against X, Y, and Z. Um, and they've, they've had to transition too. so we can as well. That's whole like where, we, you know, you and I, of course, like being here in North America, seem to think that we can never change into those like South American or European or other types of cities. We, we can, it's just a matter of like what values we want to hold.
0: New York's a nice example, like there's a whole city that congestion charging, starting to build new transit, actually putting, New York buses when I lived there were terrible, but like now they're actually investing in bus routes. And I think buses are a thing that people overlook as a, everyone wants to build the, the sexy new railway line with the big stations and like, it's a very big, heavy infrastructure cost, but no one necessarily wants to go. We just actually, we, there's a thing called a road. If we just took the car off it, put a nice bus on it, made it frequent. And the bus shelter was nice. Yes. That'd be quite cool.
1: Yes. I think buses got a bad rap for a long time. Um, And so, you know, when there's the baseline stuff, there's the safety, the cleanliness, the frequency, Uh, they don't even need to be free if they're highly frequent, if the service is great, if it's rapid, if it gets me where I'm going to go, if I invest in the infrastructure around it, it's a great net benefit for everyone. We see ridership go up. But yeah, I think buses have had a bad rap. And if anything actually does need a bit of a rebranding, I think, like, the Rapid Bus does. For sure.
0: We we spoke to a bus guy, but I have to suspect when we order us, like, you'll end up coming before him in the thing, but he's notorious for um, making buses glamorous. Well, not glamorous, but, like, nice. So, like, leather seats, comfy suspension, smooth ride. Like, one of the sort of ways of managing it or, like, measuring it is, can you put a coffee yeah. on a table and it won't fall over? Oh. You definitely can't do that on, like, a... no. On a rattly bus in North America, America yet. So. Okay. Um, this to me it's like those bits of imagination can actually go a really long way, and they don't cost a ton of money. I could talk to you all day, but it's probably a bit rude on someone listening to this if they made it this far. But, um, what what have we missed it? Like, what's what's the thing? What's the piece of advice that you would give to sort of say to people that, especially in the transit world, this is what this is the thing that you should be paying more attention to.
1: I'm a big believer in in integration and in every project I've been doing lately, I would kind of float above it and say like, what are we integrating and what do we need to integrate into? And so, uh, you know, we think about the future of transit when we think about stations is how are we integrating into the communities around us? But the beautiful thing about a station is because you're able to, to you know, that you are the hop and skip. It doesn't need to be just the concentric rings of that community, but connecting and integrating and in with different destinations along the way. I think there's this, again, not treating ourselves as a standalone, but really part of a community. And I think that if we humanize it that way by integrating into what's around us and where we're going to or from, I feel like that makes the experience a lot better. And then it strengthens community, what strengthens a, a city. And so that's my big focus.
0: That's, good. that's a good one to end on, I think. like that. We, we, we spend too much time in isolation, actually integrating it is really, really important. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. And it was fun. Yeah, anytime. Thank you for listening to the Connected Commute podcast from Boldin Networks. Follow or subscribe on the platform of your choice to stay connected and keep up to date with the latest innovations at boldin.com.